Welcome to Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. I invite you to join me on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as a participant in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. Are you looking for some interesting and practical teaching on classical education? Whether you are a home educator or a classroom teacher, or even a parent with children in a classical school, we have some really exciting webinar-style sessions coming this winter. Back by popular demand, Karen Glass and Kiernan Fiore are joining me to teach a seven-week immersion course on the fundamentals of a Charlotte Mason education. In addition, our new Snapshot series has a whole list of options for 2024. We are recording these, so unlike in the past, you will have access to videos if you en enroll in these snapshot series. Lastly, I have been invited by Society for Classical Learning to lead a narration intensive for their 2024 winter workshops. I'm really excited about this class. This intensive is designed for both classroom teachers and home educators. Participants will experience how narration is a grammatical, dialectical, and rhetorical art that lays the foundations for acquiring moral and intellectual habits. Check out the Society for Classical Learning Winter Workshops and scroll through to find out more about this in-depth workshop on narration. Links for you to check out all these courses are in the show notes of this episode. And don't forget to sign up for my monthly newsletter so you can stay up to date with all the projects and courses we will be offering this year. Some exciting new things are coming soon, and I don't want you to miss them. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. I recently attended a presentation on the art of crafting a new class at the Society for Classical Learning Conference, and I loved it. I thought that my listeners could really benefit from hearing some key points on this particular topic. So I invited the present presenter to join our show to discuss the art of creating a new class. Our guest today is Alex Marcos. He teaches at Geneva School of Bernie. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you here. And I want you to introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit of, about your background in teaching. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I teach at the Geneva School of Bernie. Uh, I live in San Antonio. Uh, Bernie is just a little bit north uh, west of San Antonio. And I've been teaching at Geneva for eight years, or this is my eighth year of teaching. Uh, so I graduated college and moved to San Antonio and started teaching at Geneva. Uh, when I first started there, I was teaching Latin for third through fifth grade. So grammar school Latin, uh, spent six years in that position and loved it, loved Latin, loved getting to work with the younger students to kind of foster a love for learning and a love for the Latin language. And then in my seventh year, I moved up to teach in the rhetoric school, uh, teaching the class we'll talk about today, uh, The Good Life on the Road to Virtue and Spiritual Formation, which is a class for ninth grade. And then I also taught the junior history class, which was uh, early modern Europe. And then this year, my eighth year, I'm teaching the ninth grade humanities course, which is Greek and Roman history and literature. Oh, those all sound like wonderful classes. Yeah, it's a lot um, of fun. Yeah, I would love to be in one of your classes. <laughs> 
So one of the things I want our listeners to uh, to hear is that you are the son of the great Lou, Dr. Lou Marcos, <laughs> who was one of the very first guests on our podcast to talk to us about the abolition of man because he knows that book so well and lectures on it so well. And it was an honor to have your dad on our program at the very launching of this podcast. And I've enjoyed talking to him so, so much. And um, he had shared with me that... Uh, his passion for education. He says, well, we're just a whole family of educators. My kids are teachers now. So I want you to kind of, before we dive into this topic of the art of crafting a new class, which I think is fantastic. And I love the class you created. I want you to tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are and growing up with Lou Marcos as your dad. Yeah, great. I, I love my dad and he's great. And he's really introduced me to the world of classical Christian education. So he's a professor at Houston Baptist University. And kind of growing up, he would read us fairy tales and Bible stories and make up stories for uh, my sister and I as we were growing up. And uh, you can actually read those stories. He's He's got a few books out. Uh, the first is called The Dreaming Stone and then The Shadow of Troy, uh, kind of the tales that he told, kind of putting us into Greek mythology. And those are the stories that he told, you know, at our bedside uh, growing up, you know, around eight to 10 years old or so. And you would you would love hearing tales uh, from Greek mythology and uh, fairy stories, the you know, red, green, blue fairy books, all of those things. And we'd also have great times in the car. We'd like to take car trips through national parks uh, across the country, and we would listen to things like the Chronicles of Narnia, the radio theater from Focus on the Family, uh, oh, Lord yes. of the Rings. Uh, great programs, and just have great memories in the car listening to them and. Uh, and then he would always quiz us afterward to make sure we knew who the characters were. And <laughs> so that's probably where I get most of my, you know, teaching dynamic from, just asking questions, make sure students are tracking. And he he would do, he did that really well. So we had almost, a, you know, our, our own kind of catechism where he would go back and forth. And he would start a line from Nardi and we would finish it and uh, kind of call and response. And, you know, when we were up the top of mountains, he would start quoting uh, either Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia, and you would quote along with him. So, so my love for literature and for uh, reading and discussions and question and answer uh, really comes uh, a lot from him and, and our kind of family dynamic of just steeped in the great books and, and storytelling and um, sharing that with others. And I got to accompany him on a lot of his speeches. In fact, my first time with Geneva was when he gave the graduation speech, uh, I think back in 2014. And I, go, I got to go with him and meet some of the faculty, not knowing that I would be teaching there in just a couple of years. So I got to meet a lot of teachers and administrators uh, involved in the classical Christian movement before I was, you know, before that was even on my radar, at, radar as to become a teacher. And so he introduced me to that world, and it's uh, it was such a beautiful thing to be able to present at the same conference with him, the Society of Classical Learning Conference. So that's, that's just a really uh, a huge blessing. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. So uh, Geneva School of Bernie is in Bernie, Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, if anybody doesn't know how to spell Bernie, it's B-O-E-R-N-I-E, correct? N-E, yeah, B-O-E-R-N-E. Yeah, -E. Oh, N-E, no, okay. Yeah, yeah, so tell us a little bit about Geneva School and how you how you uh, started teaching for them. Yeah, so Geneva started I think in 1999. Uh, so it's been a while, been a while, around for a while. Uh, so we're just over over 20 years as a school. It's a K-12 school. Uh, we're at now about 700 students, 
Canaan 12, uh, which is one of the, I think one of the larger of the classical Christian schools. Uh, we were inspired from Regents and Austin, so we have relation, uh, mm-hmm. relationship with them. And uh, there are a couple of other Geneva schools. Uh, one of our founders uh, was from the Manhattan region. There's a Geneva school in Manhattan. Um, and so Geneva has been been growing. It's been really exciting to be a part of part of the growth of Geneva. When I started, we were all in temporary buildings uh, with boardwalks connecting the, the buildings. But since I've been there, we have a, a permanent grammar school campus uh, for all the grammar school classrooms and have built uh, more for our fields. And so it's exciting to see the school develop. And so it's K-12. So we've got the grammar school, K-5, logic school, 6th through 8th, and rhetoric school, 9th through 12th. And uh, we've got great, uh, one of the things I love about Geneva is our, our community. Uh, we've got great faculty and administrators, but we have uh, of events to invite the parents. We get the parents involved and we have a lot of fun days. And in fact, this just this morning we were uh, with my students, we were, I had the students build their own Greek hoplite armor. And we're going to reenact the Battle of Thermopylae uh, in a couple of days. So we, we like to dress up in costumes and to uh, make make history come alive and these big community events to to celebrate the great books that we're reading and the cultures that we're learning about. And one of the things that really helped me to fall in love with the school is that they really like to play to the strengths of their teachers. So when I started working there, the line position was about three quarter time. So they I wanted, they wanted to find something that I could do to fill in that time. And they said, well, what what else do you love to do? And I said, well, I love Greek and Roman history. So whenever, you know, whenever they study that, could I, you know, maybe teach a lesson every once in a while? And so, well, that's third grade. So you can, you know, teach a lesson in, in the third grade history class once a week. So, oh, great. Could I teach it as Indiana Jones? <laughs> so for the last seven plus years, I've been coming to third grade once a week with my Indiana Jones hat and, and bag and bringing them some artifacts from, uh, I got to study abroad in Athens for a semester in college. And show them some of the things that I've found and share my own stories with that. And <clears throat> just to, to show that they love playing to the strengths of their teachers and encouraging that love of learning. So I think that really um, shows the, the spirit oh. of Geneva. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is very, very mm-hmm. smart from leadership perspective to, to really care about the teachers and tap into those strengths and not just necessarily trying to fill positions, but really cultivating the teachers you probably have a pretty low teacher turnover rate because of that people yeah. enjoy teaching there i'm assuming that sounds really fun um yeah that's a fun place yeah i really loved that you when you came to the society for classical learning conference you shared that the school leadership had approached you and asked you to form a new class i thought oh that's really great for a school to approach a teacher and say form a new class and they get sound like they gave you quite a bit of freedom to to go about forming that class. And you presented to us the art of creating a new class and how you walked through that process. And I, I think that that would be such a great thing for our listeners to hear. We have a lot of teachers who listen. And I think that um, the process you walked us through with that conference for getting started to how to brainstorm to create this new elective class for high school. And I'd like you to, to just start off with uh, telling our listeners how you went about crafting your idea to create this class. 
Thanks. Well, Adrian, I'll tell you, when I was putting together my talk for SEL and in preparing for it, I had I put up a poll and uh, there was, you know, we had an app and you could pose a question. I was surprised by how many of the teachers said that they've had this experience where they're in the position where they've either they're creating a new class or they're teaching a class they've never taught before and trying to like, okay, how do you approach that? So as you mentioned, the uh, our Rhetoric School headmaster uh, wanted a class on virtue, virtue and spiritual formation was this, his vision for a class for all of ninth grade. And they, they knew that my, my heart was to eventually teach in the, in the rhetoric school. And so it was like, well, this, this would be a good time for you to, you know, kind of move transition to the rhetoric school. And you kind of casted the vision for me and said, we want a class on virtue and spiritual formation. We want to set the tone for the culture in our rhetoric school, right? This was just after COVID. And our culture was kind of slipping, and we, we wanted to reinforce uh, the idea of virtue and spiritual formation uh, for students coming into rhetoric school. And so he, yeah, he gave me uh, a lot of freedom and said, I, just, I want a class on, on virtue and spiritual formation, and I would love to see what you come up with. And so that was the toward the end of the school year of, I guess, the school year of 21. And... The first thing I did was I needed to come up with a title, a catchy title, because class on virtue may not be exciting to ninth graders. So I wanted to come up with a uh, kind of a catchy title, something that would give me an, an anchor to, to think about how to even approach the idea of an entirely new class. And so uh, I came up with the title of The Good Life, because that, that's really the theme, that's the heart of it. How do we live a good life? What does it mean to live a good life? And what what is the good life? And kind of a survey class on what other ancient civilizations have said, this, this is what makes a good life. And then, so the good life on the road to virtue and spiritual formation. So the image of the road, right? Where none of us are going to arrive um, in this class or in life in general, but what does it look like to begin developing virtue and, and spiritual habits? And so that's kind of the, how the process started. So you had, had to give a title and description to put in the course catalog for the students to mm -hmm. look at and the parents to look at. And then I spent the whole summer trying to wrap my head around what was I going to do. And the, the talk that he gave at SCL was distilling the process that I went through kind of in the summer and then in the, in the beginning part of the year of how did I really begin this course and what did it look like to, to approach organizing in such a way that would set me up for success in, in, in this first year of teaching it. So I'll say that there are three major steps uh, that I went through. Uh, and this was thinking about the class in three ways. First, the class as an idea, which is the class as it exists in the mind of the teacher. So in my mind, what is this class about? And then secondly, the class as it, ex as it is experienced in the classroom. So this is the teacher and the students in the room what does day-to-day activities look like? And then thirdly, the class as it experienced outside the classroom. So really the students themselves, what are the students gonna be thinking about? What are the things that they will be doing at home related to this class? And so I had then kind of those three things in mind. So the class's idea, the experience in the classroom and the experience out of the classroom. And so, so we'll kind of break those down. So the class as, it's, as an idea, the first step, as I mentioned, was just coming up with a title. And a lot of classes are just 
given the title of the subject, history, literature, mm -hmm. science, math, which, you know, it's, it's appropriate. That's, that's what we're doing. But I always thought, well, that doesn't tell you a whole lot about the class. It doesn't give much of a hook as to why they should be interested in the class. So I wanted something, a title that was, that was catchy, something that was an accurate depiction or description of what we were going to do in the class and to give us some common language or common metaphor that we could keep coming back to to say, okay, what are we doing? All right, we're talking about this. So again, I wanted to center on the, you know, these two images of the good life, what does it mean to live well, and the image of the road that we're, we're going to be developing and, and building um, character, building spiritual and virtuous habits. So, so that was the first part is just in the, you know, the most succinct way, just the title of the class. When people think of it, what is this class about? So it's not, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of philosophy. It's kind of literature. Um, it's, you know, it incorporates uh, spiritual elements of uh, Bible and things like that. But to give a, give a hook for, for students and for me as the teacher to say, okay, what, what really are we doing in this class? And then from there, after it, the it title... It was interesting to me how in the session you taught us, you had us brainstorming names for classes, and it was really a fun activity. Um, can you walk us yeah. through that a little bit? Yeah, so yes, that, that was fun. In the SEL conference this year, what I liked is that they had these practicums where it was not just me lecturing and sharing what I had. It was posing questions and having the audience really mm -hmm. wrestle with them and try to come up with their own ideas of how they could actually implement them in their own classrooms. So, so yeah, so in, in the, in the, the talk, I, I gave them some kind of outlines of what, you know, what a, a course title might look like. So, uh, you know, to come up with your own title, think about what are, what are the major themes, uh, in the class? What are, what are the big ideas that you're going to be talking about, uh, in other, question where does it start where does it end so like for the class that i've taught in history you know from uh from the renaissance to the uh to the enlightenment so you know, something that gives hooks on either end so so we know where we are so having a clear beginning and end or uh the the general uh, content or the uh, range of topics that you'll be talking about mm -hmm. uh, and then some kind of image or metaphor that again gives gives a good hook or a good handle. Uh, so again, the image of the road uh, in, in my course title. So as mm -hmm. as teachers are thinking of if they're approaching a new class, you know, if, if it's if it's a math class or if it's a, a literature class, what really are the central themes or ideas you're going to be dealing with, and trying to fit those into uh, an image or a metaphor that you can come back to. Um, so I'm going to share. So the uh, classes that I'm teaching this year, uh, I'm teaching the literature course and history. So for our literature course, we just finished reading the Odyssey. And so I have our title is uh, Heroes, Hubris, and Hospitality. Mm -hmm. And so, kind of, you know, these three kind of major words, um, you know, with H's. And so... Uh, you know, heroes. You know, we'll be reading the Iliad and hubris, tragedy and hospitality, and, and the the Odyssey. Uh, the other one that I have, a history for for Greece, is uh, the fight for freedom. So we just got finished talking about the Persian Wars. So they're the image of battles, of, of fighting to try to defend yeah. 
these these great things. So we're talking about the beginnings of Greek civilization and and what they stood for, and then they had to fight for it. It's not something that just uh, happened or could just continue. So these these images and these themes. So it's not just what class you have. Oh, I just have ninth grade history. Right. Which I mean, the students yeah. may still call it that, and. Uh, it was interesting to see how the students or the teachers even would refer to the class. Some would call it the virtues class, some would call it the good life. Uh, but it, it gives students and, and parents and teachers something to think about and sort of to hold on to when they're thinking of, okay, what is this class really about? Yeah, so the goal of the class, really. It's yeah. encompassing the, the idea, like you said, the big idea. I, lo I really love that. I think I think the idea of naming something is really important because it means we care. Right. Yeah, the intentionality. It, it does portray to the students, oh, there's, there's been a lot of thought put into this class. It's not just an English class, but it actually has ideas. I love these names. And tell us again the name of the, the Good Life class. See, I'm already calling it the Good Life class. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the Good Life <laughs> on the Road to Virtue and Spiritual Formation. It's beautiful. And, and it, there's so much right there. Like that. that's a really powerful name. Do you think since this was this is an elective class, correct? This was, I mean, I guess it was actually it was a required class for for the ninth oh, grade was. students. Okay, it I guess maybe of, the idea of electives came up when we were talking at uh, Society <clears throat> for Classical Learning. Maybe the people I was sitting maybe. with, <laughs> yeah, but they were like, "Yeah, I need to have a great name because it's an elective class, and I need mm -hmm. I want the students to pick my class, right?" <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll tell you. There's one of the electives that I'm teaching this year, and. I thought it would be clever, but it's it was too cumbersome of a name. Uh, it's a class on kind of cultural engagement, so I called it Colloquium for Cultural Engagement, uh, which is really big. And I asked the students, and they didn't know what Colloquium yeah. meant. <laughs> um, so I mean, we call it CTE for for short, uh, which is which is fine. But I was like, maybe maybe for the next time, maybe I'll change the title so that it's, it's actually something they can pronounce. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, wrap their minds around. So sometimes the titles can also be off-putting. That's fun. Okay, so you've walked us through the first step idea. Now I'll walk us through the experience in the class part of the creating your model here. Yeah, well, it just before we move on to the experience, the, uh -huh. the other two things as part of, so the, most of my time was focused on the idea because the great thing is the idea of the class is completely in my control. It's completely in control of the teacher. Okay. It's, as uh -huh. I'm thinking about it and dreaming about the class. It gets a little more narrow when you've got the students in front of you, and it's even more so when you're not involved at all, when it's just the students and how they're thinking of it. So most of the preparation is in that front end of the idea. So the first was the title, but then the other was putting together a reader, uh, putting together the content. Uh, so again, starting from scratch, you know, there's no textbook on the good life. Uh, there, there's some recent books that are that have kind of collected passages and of uh, selected readings or uh, other ideas on it, uh, but I wanted to get like the best of uh, Greek and Roman philosophy. And since it's ninth, it was ninth grade class, I wanted to complement it with the history that they learned. So they were mm -hmm. studying Greek and Roman history and literature. And so I thought you should, to kind of, again, narrow the scope as well. I want to complement what they're learning in, in their other classes. So, so I specifically narrowed the topic to Greek and Roman uh, philosophies. Uh, so I took the you know the best uh, excerpts from Aristotle and Plato, um, the, the Stoic philosophers, uh, and then we we looked at uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and uh, some of Augustine's Confessions, and so so that that was some of the longest 
work uh, over the summer was to read through a bunch of these things and, and kind of uh, condense the the readings so that they were, you know, four or five pages long. We could read them in class. We could talk about them, uh, and then and then provide good discussions over them. And then the the third thing was what are the kind of the takeaways, the major takeaways. And, and this is going to kind of transition us into the experience in the classroom. One of the things that I really liked uh, from a previous SEL conference was the idea of catechisms. Uh, oh. At the beginning of each class, begin with kind of questions and answers to kind of set the tone, kind of go over the most important ideas of class. And again, over the summer, I wanted to con condense the, the, the course into three questions. And uh, questions were, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? So it's like, these are the questions that, you know, once you answer those, then you you have your vision of the good life. If you, Once you've answered, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? So I had those questions and I, and I wrote my own answers to those that had the students memorized. And we would say that at the beginning of each class, kind of set the tone and remind us, you know, what we're here, what we're learning. And if they remember nothing else from this class, They'll remember the answers to these questions, right? And so, so I think we had you know, had us read them together. Um, so, if you want me to go through those, uh, that kind of yeah, sure. So, yeah, so, that's so fine. If you yeah. come into the class, and students sit down, and so class begins uh, when where we go through these questions. So, who are you? I am a child of God, created in His image, fallen yet redeemed. Why are you here? to be transformed by the renewal of my mind, to be more like Jesus Christ. What is your purpose? To love God with all that I am and to love others for his glory. That's beautiful. So, thank you. So, so those were, those were the way that we uh, began each class. And so, yes, so now we can move into, okay, so what, is, what does it look like in the classroom? So we began with the, that catechism, that liturgy, and... Class met three days a week, and so I tried to kind of each day was something a little different. We would I would usually begin with a lecture, kind of introduce the author we were reading that week, so get a little background on Plato or on Aristotle, and uh, kind of. Did talk you about read the, the we Did you reading. read the texts in class, or did they read them at home? Uh, we read them in class. Uh, that was kind of one of the decisions, kind of making up that reader. Is that I just I cut it way way down so that it was a something manageable that we could read in class and even then I, I thought I I got it pretty down you know the reader was you know I got it down to 100 pages and then you know we only read a few paragraphs even from the you know say we had five pages of Aristotle we would only read you know a couple pages or so uh, in class but we would uh, read so that second day of the week we would uh, read aloud. Uh, portions of those texts together and i would try to go through and okay nothing else we're going to read this passage together um, and I, I tried to pick passages that were uh, or that included strong images so aristotle begins with the idea of an archer aiming at a target so what are we doing with talking about virtue and happiness this is how he starts the nicomachean ethics uh well we're like an archer aiming at a target so we need to have the target to aim at we need to know what we're looking at and so I started with with that image, of course, Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you know, one of the greatest mm -hmm. uh, images about uh, wisdom and uh, truth and our experience in the world. 
So we, we focus on those images and then try to read them from, from the text. And I would have, usually have the students illustrate them uh, as kind of an exit ticket activity. So we would read and then, and then they would kind of illustrate it either at the end of class or the beginning of the next class. Uh, and then we'd have a, a discussion over the reading. Usually what that looked like is we would read a bunch the second day and then we would still read a little bit on the third day and then kind of have our discussion uh, during that time. And uh, some of the activities we did, so we, we, we would read, we would do, uh, you know, we do these note cards where these are illustrated or, you know, things mm -hmm. that they took away from the, from the discussion or questions that they had. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to read in class is because these are, these are very difficult texts. They're, you know, I didn't read these texts until I got to college or, or graduate school and uh, they're difficult for me to, <laughs> to read. Uh, some of this, what I'm taking from is uh, I got a, a master's degree in, in apologetics, cultural apologetics uh, from Houston Baptist University and or H, Houston Christian University now. And <laughs> uh, we, we got, to, I got to read the Nicomachean Ethics and the Republic in, in one of my apologetics classes. And just to see the, this is the beauty and the, the truth in these ancient philosophers and how we can uh, use that to point people to Christ and to, there's a lot of wisdom here. And so to try to help the students to wrestle with, okay, here's what, you know, these, these ancient philosophers said, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of goodness in here. One of the ways, and this gets into some of that last part about uh, outside of the class, one of the ways mm -hmm. that I had the students engaged, instead of reading the text directly, we would read the text in class again, so we can really go over it. And I wanted them to come with questions. You don't have to come up with answers, just come with questions and we and we can go over it. But what I had well, to do- Well, that's great. That's classes... very smart. I, yeah, I don't want to skim over that. That's really brilliant that you're not, that, say that again, because I don't want our listeners to forget what you just said. <laughs> right, so I had them come with questions uh, rather than answers. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to have the question and we can talk about the answers. We can talk about the questions together, help you uh, realize what the authors are saying. But it's more important to develop the skill of, asking a question of knowing what you don't know, reading, uh, approaching a, one of these texts and saying, I, I don't get it. I have no idea what he's saying. So okay, good. I let's am, start there. I, I want to camp on this for one minute because, okay, one of my, oh, I'm so happy you said this. Teachers are so stuck in feeling like they have to have comprehension questions, comprehension discussions, comprehension, multiple choice questions, but the actual spirit of classical education is to establish a spirit of inquiry. So mm -hmm. this is my favorite part in David Hicks, Norms and Nobility, is on page 18. If you own the book, <laughs> read page 18, 19, and 20. Because he says that classical education does not stand for a specific time or place. It stands instead for a spirit of inquiry. And that is so, so critical. If you are teaching in a classical school, you want to be a classical teacher, or you're a parent thinking about putting your kids in a classical school, you've got to embrace the idea that a classical education is rooted in the spirit of inquiry, not comprehending everything. Like they don't have That's to right. understand all the vocabulary words in order to read a really good text. They don't have to understand everything they're reading. 
but to read the things that are good and true and beautiful that are worth reading in order to have more questions and to engage in a conversation in order to hypothesize about life and about truth and wonder. This is exactly, so this is why I had you on the show because I knew you were teaching this way. And I I just want to shout out this message. This is all I'm going to say because I want you to have the show, the podcast. This isn't about me. But the fact that you brought that up is so critical. I want uh, teachers to their takeaway from this to be create a spirit of inquiry and look at your whatever you're teaching and figure out how you can encourage your students to come to class with more questions because that is the essence of a classical education. Now you can have the floor back. <laughs> okay, great. I love that. Yes, it's, it's so good, especially uh, you know we just got done reading the Odyssey with the ninth graders and it's it's a difficult text like. It's okay that you don't understand what's going on. That, that's that's why we're here. I don't, I don't expect that's you to right. have all the answers. And, that's and why I you're in school, you to, right? <laughs> right. And, it, and it's an important skill to develop a well-crafted question. That that's yes. Uh, I mean, yes. part of the role of the teacher is to come up with those questions that will then uh, a spark and, and foster deep conversations. Um, one of the things that I uh, I've started doing. I can do a little bit more in, in my classes is to have categories of questions. So if students, you want to ask a question, it's like, okay, here are the kinds of questions you can ask. You can start with basic definition questions, basic comprehension questions, you know, you know, who did this or, you know, what's the name of this character? Um, and th- those can start some discussion, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, just let's make sure we all know who the main players are and what the setting is and all these details. And then you get to advanced, I, I call them categories of questions, like, like uh, hurricanes, you know, category one is just uh, low levels. Yeah. Uh, category two would be more advanced comprehension, things like how do we see the theme of hospitality in this passage or yes. the theme of, of class glory um, uh, or across the whole book? What is Homer saying about the theme of gaining glory uh, or hospitality? That, that, gets even more conversation going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a category three question would be uh, a connection to another book that they've read. So I had students making connections either uh, to Lord of the Rings or uh, similar connections to John and Tremaine. Uh, some of the books that they've read at Geneva uh, and their other classes, uh, the scripture is great. I love when students pull out their Bible and say, hey, this kind of reminds me of this verse. Mm-hmm. Um, those get it's even more conversation going, and then a category four would be a question of application. Okay, so what does it look like in my life? You know, who are the people that have Kleos, and, and you know, how are they doing? You know, what is it? How do we show hospitality? And this is kind of brings it to the student, to the, to your life, and so that's this you know, even more discussion is happening. And then kind of category five is you know a life altering question. Um, doesn't happen very often, but things that this is this is so important. Uh, Alex, because you're what you're really. This is back to you are teaching them how to order the affections. This is what Saint Augustine says to, mm-hmm. that we have to help our students learn how to order their affections, how to love rightly, how to live rightly, right? And until they know how to ask good questions, it becomes pretty impossible to order your life. You have to actually be able to ask good questions because that teaches you how to think. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how to order your thoughts. It teaches you how to order and organize the path you're walking on, right? And so I think this is brilliant that you're you're modeling for them the process 
of good questions so that they can learn how to ask good questions. And we learn by asking good questions. This is great. I'm, I love, I wish I were in your class. I'm still trying. I've not got this all figured out. I'm still uh, trying to figure <laughs> out. And again, it's, it's like, I have this in my mind, but how do I get it to the students and it allow, sure. kind of, yes. uh, empower them to, to own these kinds of questions. Um, and so one of the ways that I did this in, in the, this, the, the good life class is that during the week that we were discussing uh, one of the excerpts, I would give them a short passage of scripture and that they would read and meditate on. And the way I did this was uh, kind of a, uh, if you're familiar with the process of uh, Lexio Divina, uh, this mm -hmm. idea of reading scripture out loud and then reading it multiple times to, to hear all the senses of it, to uh, meditate on the individual words. And so the students were encouraged to gather with groups of two or three to read the scripture out loud. This can be at school or, or off campus. Uh, sometimes they did this in study halls and they'd go outside and then do this. Uh, it's a great way for students to get together uh, and getting together around scripture. And that I just love that students were asking, like, hey, can I go read scripture with my friend outside? It's like, yes, I love that. Um, so reading scripture together on the first read, just what words, you know, jump out to you. And then on a second uh, hearing of it, uh, what what, do you, what are your thoughts or what's what's happening in this passage? Uh, and then then questions of application. And this is one of the things that I would I would do a little bit differently or make it a little clearer is that I would give them the scripture and I was just hoping that they would see the connection. So, you know, in the, the allegory of the cave, you, I think we looked at one of the passages where God says, you know, I'm, I'm opening the eyes of the blind to set the prisoner free, mm -hmm. uh, right? That's ju God's justice, right? To have mercy on the widow and the orphan, uh, to set the prisoner free, open the eyes of the blind. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is how the Bible kind of image picture of justice uh, the idea of opening the eyes and freeing the captive. And I wanted to see that's that's what Plato was talking about in the allegory of the cave. Is he uses right. very similar imagery um, because they're getting at the same, the, the, this core idea of justice uh, and, and of, of wisdom, uh, of pursuing hmm. things, of, of uh, breaking the chains and journeying out toward, toward God. So those were the kinds of verses uh, we're talking about um, habits and struggling with uh, temptation. Uh, Paul's great passage in, in Romans seven, right? I, you know, wretched man that I am, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I ought to do. In, the, in wrestling with the passage, and then Aristotle's coming along with, uh, we all have these two parts in us that wrestle with us, and we've got to build up our reason. We've got to learn what the virtues are, so that we can teach ourselves um, what is right, and to know when the decision comes, which way we ought to go. Right. So I, I wanted to make, I, you know, I might have, I could have maybe made the connections uh, more distinct and have them more targeted questions, but I wanted to leave it open for them to, right, here's some scripture, right? And uh, one of the things that the students said is, I wish we could read more scriptures. Like, well, yeah, I'd love wow. that. I'd love that they, they, they desire to yeah. continue to bring in scripture. They, they found it uh, just helpful for them as we're in, as we're talking about, how do you live? Well, <laughs> we, we go to God's word, right? That's, that's the ultimate source of, of wisdom and truth so to know how we ought to live. And so giving them little bits at a time to kind of supplement um, or really, really direct our conversations. Uh, something that I try to do, again, this is kind of life outside the classroom. 
You know, so I'm hoping that whenever they're thinking of the class, you know, what do I've got to do for, you know, virtues homework today? Well, I've got to read scripture with a friend. Um, another thing, another practice that I did was a, a virtue journal, uh, which they had little, little notebooks and they had to record uh, instances of virtue. Usually, you know, the, you would you'd be doing a virtue of the week. So anytime you saw courage or, or self-control and uh, so they would write down, says, you know, that the soccer match, you know, someone, you know, scored a goal and, you know, had to run through the defenders and, you know, showed great courage, you know, in a sporting event or, or in class or uh, struggling with self-control. You know, I was up too late and I didn't, didn't study well. Um, it was, it was fun to see, or just great to see the students who are really wrestling with the, the rule I gave them is that you can only list a vice if it's you, you can't, you can't point out other people's vices, only their virtues. Right, right. Was like, well, I saw him. He's like, no, 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 no. The vices is just for you, right? How are you, know, what you were struggling with? So students were saying like, well, I think I spent too much time on my phone today. I, I lacked self-control. I needed more self-control. Wow. Um, and so just having them think about, so again, when they're thinking outside the class, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to look for instances of virtue and this, the the vocabulary. So they were thinking like, oh, I'm, I'll put that in my virtue journal. So they kind of, try to shape the way that they're just speaking to each other and living life uh, at the school and, and with each other, that this becomes part of the vocabulary. They're looking now for examples of virtue uh, and they want to, you know, to write it down in their journal. I think it's great uh, that you are also having them self-reflect on their own vices because what that's doing is giving them the ability to have the gift of repentance. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the essence of being a Christian. We have to know how, to self-reflect and repent right. and ask the Lord for grace and mercy and, 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 and ask him for help to embrace the virtues. I, I really love that you had them self-reflect in, in the vices as well. I think that is a beautiful, uh, beautiful, good thing that you had them doing. That's really good. Yeah. And one of the, one of my favorite things that we did during the year was one of our last years was on prayer and mm -hmm. After we talked about the virtues and we talked about the the Greeks and the the, the, the Stoics and, and those people, what do they lack? Right? They they lack. I mean, they lack God's word, but they also lack the Holy Spirit. Right? The, you can only go so far as a Stoic. You can only okay. control your emotions uh, and your and your actions so much on your own. And so, as we were talking about these virtues, I wanted to say so. In, in the spiritual life, as our as we're having these habits, it's good to right sit, sit these have these habits have these disciplines, but remember that it's, it's the Holy Spirit's work to transform you from the inside out. And uh, we one of my favorite things again that we did is gave them prompts of pray this prayer. It's usually would incorporate scripture or quote from Augustine that we were studying, and just to sit and and pray and, and write down things that you that come to mind and uh, had them write a reflection um, about that. And, you know, what are they struggling with? Is it because it's hard to pray? It's hard to focus and to, uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit and to, um, and to, and to read God's word and to really meditate on it deeply. And, and it was, I guess, a beautiful thing to read these reflections of students say, you know, I, uh, I, I do struggle with, with reading or praying and it's hard for me to concentrate, but I've been, you know, trying to do this and, uh, and you know, allowed them to make it. It's like, well, my, you know, my youth pastor always says this. You know, you always, you know, got to do this, and and then these kind of disciplines that they've heard in other places. It was a moment for them to kind of 
kind of coalesce the, these things that they've been hearing from different places of, oh yeah, mm-hmm. prayer. I mean, not only is it important, but it's actually it's actually life giving to spend a few moments and in, in asking the Holy Spirit to show us where we need to improve and um, to help transform us uh, to mm-hmm. have uh, to have courage when it when when we need it. You know, there's only so much we can do in our own. Uh, and to yeah, that discipline of, of of prayer is so so critical when we're talking about virtue because it's easy to say, well, I've I've got to figure it out, I've got a plan, I'm gonna do this, and oh, failed was you know, just try harder next time. It's like, well, no, there's actually prayer is a very important part, very important element uh, in that and in, in the work of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So to summarize the art of crafting a class. You want, and and you can fill in, but you want to start with the ideas that are going to be in the class and use that to frame the title of the class. What is it that, what's the essence of what you want to teach and what kind of metaphor could we use to explain this for the title? And then you want to think through what is the experience you want your students to have in the class. And then you want to think through what experiences do you want the children to have outside of the class? Is there anything you would add to this, what I'm summarizing? Yeah, this is a good uh, description of, the, of those three things. Uh, part of the, part of the you know, in, in the class uh, included assessments. You know, what does assessment look like? In a class when you're talking about virtue, it's difficult. Okay, how am I, how am I going to give you a grade sure. on how virtuous yeah. you are? Um, and so I think that's an important element to and I always try to have the assessments match the kinds of things that we did in class, um, and maybe give them a, you know some more room to kind of further experiment with and to um, show what they've learned. So I think uh, what the assessments look like is is an important part, and that's things that happen during the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay, we talked about this. You know, how am I going to tell whether the students got it or not? Um, and that's kind of part of the, the rhythms of your class. But I, I think assessing assessments. Are, are an important part, not just because mm-hmm. it's a grade, um, but you know, did they get the information? Um, and for the happening outside your classroom, and there's only so much control that you have um, over it. But to just kind of as a as an indicator of you know how what are the students saying uh, about the class, or you know what is the kind of perception of it? Again, the Stokes would say that's something that's outside of your control. So I'm not sure we're about it too much, but. Uh, I'll, I'll share, you know, uh, a story uh, that I shared at the end of the presentation that I think just encapsulates it well. Um, I, I heard this. Um, this this is something that happened at I think the homecoming dance. Uh, we we had just been finished. Uh, we just finished reading Marcus Aurelius and uh, parts of his meditations, and talked about stoicism and uh, and that those things. And uh, at the dance, apparently. There was there was one guy that was kind of standing off to the side, and you know not not wanting to engage, and the the students, some other students in, the, in this class, went up and uh, harangued him and said, "What would Marcus Aurelius do? You've got to do your duty and dance with your date. Come on, <laughs> do your duty. Uh, you know, be a, be a stoic. You know, Marcus Aurelius would tell you to go dance with your with your date, and so." Uh, and I think that encouraged him, and he he joined the the dance after that. But uh, again, those you know, small stories and uh, anecdotes, but it shows them that they're they're getting the information, and it's it's a 
affecting the way that they uh, interact with each other. It becomes part of their uh, vocabulary, part of their uh, discussions. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that was, as, as a teacher's like, all right, that, that was a win. <laughs> yeah, they got for it. sure. Yeah. Well, they're incorporating it into their own conversations. Right. That those are the kinds of questions we wanted them to ask. What would a Marcus Aurelius do? He would he would do his 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 duty. So so how were you assessing? What what ways were you recording yeah, grades? So, yeah, good question. So I I would have um so I had some some tests that would you know match, you know, the definitions of the virtues. Those would be the uh um, just the simple objective parts. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. When we talked about the virtues themselves, we went through the cardinal virtues, uh, you know, courage, self-control, wisdom, justice. And what I did is that I gave them a passage of scripture to read that um, incorporates or demonstrates several of those mm -hmm. virtues and their vices. And so that uh, basically kind of analyze the passage and say, okay, where's justice in this passage or, or the vice of justice, where's corruption in this passage or courage or, um, or, or timidity, cowardice. Uh, so like for one test, I had uh, battle of David and Goliath. You know, you see courage, you see justice, you see wisdom. And so the students had to write down examples of where they saw those virtues. So where do you see courage, where do you see wisdom? Uh, and then where do you see a couple of vices? Uh, and then basically, you know, did did they get it? It wasn't, uh, you know, super involved, but I just wanted to just to see how they're responding to. So again, showing that they know what the virtue is if they can connect it to a passage of scripture. And these would be passages that we didn't necessarily talk about in the class, uh, but it's one that they can apply what sure. we talked about in the class to, uh, and again, there's nothing better to read than, than scripture and to find virtues and vices in scripture. Uh, so again, trying to, because you know, the students said, we want more scriptures. So like, okay, let's, let's really dig into where do we see these virtues and vices in, uh, in scripture. So we did David Goliath, who did Daniel uh, in the lion's den and uh, the three friends in the furnace. So I think those were the stories that I, that I had. I also had a, a reflection uh, essay for the prayer. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I said, you know, pray these prayers and, and track, kind of make notes of, you know, the things that you, that you, you know, your progress or things that you wrestled with and, and kind of write a reflection essay. Um, another assessment that I did, one of the most exciting things about teaching this class was collaborating with other teachers. Uh, so collaborating with the, with the humanities teacher and also with our, our writing teacher. Uh, they had a, a rhetoric class where they were working on, uh, we do a kind of a progenasmata program. So they uh -huh. had these figures of descriptions and they were working on retelling stories. So I had them retell one of the stories from the confession. So the stealing of the pears, I mean, the classic oh, example from the confession. Yes. They had to retell that story and they had to use some of their figures of description. So, you know, use your vivid description of a tree you know, to describe the pears um, or the the night, you know, the, mm -hmm. you know, the darks of the night and, uh, or the wind, uh, you know, you know, take one aspect and kind of amplify it. Mm -hmm. And so again, uh, I love to give students ways to show their creativity because I'm always just blown away by uh, their writing or their humor. Um, and so showing that, okay, you've, you've understood the story, but you're making your own, you're, you're emphasizing, you know, the mm -hmm. choice that Augustine made or the nature of evil by you know maybe describing the faces of them or mm -hmm. um or the pigs that are you know in the story that eat the pears so these you know this way of retelling the story 
in such a way that's right, kind of reinforcing what they're doing in their mm-hmm. writing class. Um, that's yeah, great. Also- so you're having them do written narration, but with amplification. So you're basically we're yes, applying yeah. the two, the first two parts of the pro gymnasmata uh, exercises mm-hmm. in your assessments. I think that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, good. this is this is not something that I came up with. Is it was again collaboration was uh, one of the best parts of this class. I had great, mm-hmm. uh, great colleagues that I would just walk into a room and say, "All right, we're talking about this. What are you doing? And how can we?" Yep you know, complement what we're doing and, you know, great conversations and working together. This is, and that's how this is another mark of you being a great teacher that I want to point out is collaborating with other teachers and other classes. So equally as important as creating a spirit of inquiry is collaborating with your peer, with your uh, fellow teachers, colleagues. Yeah. Yes. And I, I love that you're doing that. I, th- I encourage schools to do that all the time. Collaborate. You know, I want you to have picture study and art and music in your, in your classroom, but collaborate with your art and music teachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, there's something that, you know, I was like, Oh, that takes too much time. But this, this every time I, I spent in, in her, in her room, sometimes we'll just talk about, you know, what we're, what we're doing and going on. But Mm-hmm. It was more productive to brainstorm ideas for exam. It would have taken me much longer to try to come up with something. And it wouldn't have been sure. as good if it was just me thinking of, you know, what I was going to do. And so I just you know, encourage teachers to say like, well, you know, it's it, it, it can be difficult to try to meet with other teachers and you feel like we're being pulled in different directions. But I, sure. I, I'd say it's worth it to sit down mm-hmm. with one of your, your one of your colleagues and um, and, and collaborate on, on a project. If you're seeing the same students, especially um, yes. to, to see how you yes. can complement what they're doing and to encourage them. I was so encouraged by talking to, to my colleagues and it's got me through some, you know, some difficult times where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's when your first year of teaching a class, like, I, I don't know if this is going to work. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm out of ideas. <laughs> this is great. Oh, this has been an amazingly encouraging conversation for me. I'm very blessed that you came on to the program. I'm sure my listeners are going to be thrilled as well. Um, so we always close our podcast asking um, two questions. You can answer both or one, whichever you prefer. Um, what is a quote that has had a deep meaning or impact on your life? Or what is a book that you wish you had read sooner in your life? Yeah, so I'll answer the that second question, a book that I wish I'd read earlier. It was actually a book that was given to me by my church uh, when I first moved to San Antonio, uh, we had a we had a retreat and they gave us this book and it's like oh that's a cool book and I read a few pages out of it uh, and then I didn't get back to it until a few years later uh, but the book is Celebration of Discipline uh, by Richard Foster and it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier uh, the power of prayer and, and spiritual disciplines one of the mysteries of the Christian life for me for for a long time is okay how do I how do I make progress, and, and how do I know I'm making progress in uh, in sanctification? You know, so mm-hmm. I you know, read the Bible, and but but you know, what am I supposed to do? And what Richard Foster does in this, in Celebration of Discipline is he he outlines the twelve disciplines and gives categories. You've got your uh, kind of interior disciplines of of prayer, meditation, study, and then you have the more external disciplines of uh, fasting, simplicity. Um, and all the others, and then you've got corporate disciplines of worship and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and celebration as a discipline, which which I love. And 
the the major the kind of the the kernel that I got, and uh, I don't have the book with me, otherwise I'll give you the quote. But he said that when it comes to discipline, we we, we think of it as you know a hard, rigid rules like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pray this many times a day, I'm gonna read my Bible this many, you know, this many minutes, and that's how I'll know I'm being a good Christian. He's like, no, no, no. You, you don't. The discipline is is not the thing that gives you life. The discipline is to create a space for the Holy Spirit to renew you day by day. And so I, that's something that I wish that I knew earlier, that it's not me having to try to be a better Christian. Being a better Christian is to make more room for God to work in you and to allow the work of the Spirit, which is, which is often slow, uh, but my God is patient and he he works through um, through our experiences. He works, he speaks to us through his word um, and through other people. And so th- this idea that the disciplines are to give you life, they're, n- they're not to hold you to these standards. Of, I'm, I'm making this goal. I'm going to stick to it otherwise. And if I fail, then, well, I guess I'm not as holy as I thought I was. Um, instead, the disciplines are to give you life. They're to put you into a posture in which God right. can speak to you. Uh, and so this was, Again, just kind of a revolutionary idea for me. And I'm, I'm sure other people have told me this <laughs> in Sunday school, but it, it, Richard Foster really helped crystallize that idea of why even do these disciplines, right? What, what is the point of, of prayer and fasting and celebrating and um, mm-hmm. all of these things, these kind of outward things? Like, are we really, like the goal is we're, we're making room for the Spirit of God to transform us, to make us holy, to transform mm-hmm. us to the image of Christ. Amen. That's, that's so that's good. That's something that, uh, so I picked it up during the pandemic when like all of life was was scattered and I have none of my habits were, and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. So the things that's valuable mm-hmm. is to make time for God. You know, whatever chaos was happening, it's like, all right, I'm going to just, I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to put myself in a posture to allow God to work in me, to speak to me uh, so that I be might, might be more like Christ. That's great. That sounds Thank like a power. great book. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so yeah, it's a celebration of discipline. Okay, and that will be in our show notes. So thank you, Alex, for coming on the show. And it was a delight to meet with you. And I'm sure this is going to help many of our listeners. Great, it was great talking with Adrian. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can get involved in a few ways. There's a Facebook page where we actively discuss the ideas around classical education. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. And if you want to help offset our production costs, you can support the podcast financially by going to www.classicaleducationpodcast.com forward slash support. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once said, Well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be in a few words this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know best of all what it is to behave under it as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven.